0: Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. And uh, tonight, I want to just spend some time while all of the kids are diving into the kits that we gave you. Some of you are like, are those personal pizzas? Uh, they're not, uh, but there's uh, some activities and some puzzles and colors and stuff in there. And some of you are like, I'm 45, but I still like that stuff. Maybe I could still get one. Maybe you could convince a kid to share with you. But while they're doing that, I wanted just to share a little bit about the Christmas story and dive a little bit deeper below the surface of the thing, because I think there's some things in the Christmas story, at least this aspect of it, that have a lot more to do with maybe the the lives that a lot of us are living right now. And so I just want to read you a snippet from this. It's found in the book of Luke, the second chapter, and this may sound familiar to you, um, but this is what it says. It says, that night, there were shepherds staying in fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel assured them, don't be afraid! (laughs) Did I get you? It got me. And I was the one doing it, okay? That's always a weird thing to me. Like, when someone's afraid, yelling, don't be afraid at them. It seems like it's not going to work. It's maybe not the best course of action, but that's what happens, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now, maybe you've heard this like me all growing up. Maybe you're new to this. Uh, maybe you saw it once in a Christmas movie. Um, but this is the, the Christmas scene that many of us are familiar with. And yet, I, I find that sometimes you can know something or hear something so often that it starts to sort of lose its edge. It gets hard to picture it because it's just, it becomes this set of words that we just sort of say but we can't really picture how it went or what they mean. And sometimes like when I, I revisit a passage of scripture, I'm such a visual person that I'll go and I'll, I'll look for like artists' renderings of maybe what they, how they interpreted this moment. And I did this for this uh, sort of angels and shepherds moment. And I just wanna share a few things that I, I saw uh, that I just thought were interesting. This is one of the first pictures that I found that sort of depicts this from an artist. Uh, it's uh, not, not really a host of angels, just the one. Um, and so that's a little bit off. And then just just the two shepherds. And I, I, it's interesting because uh, it says that they were afraid, but neither one of these guys seems afraid, right? The guy laying on the ground is just like, bring it on. You know what I mean? Doesn't it seem like he's beckoning him? And the other guy's like, shoo, away with you, right? You better not stay in this sundress. He seems very, like not what, at least my image of what I thought, From this, maybe that's just me, but that's just one. There's another painting um, that I found. That's this one, and there is there is a host of angels, right? They're all hiding behind the cloud. It's kind of fuzzy. It's hard to see, but it's like it almost seems like they're like. You know when you go to a surprise birthday party and one person is bringing everyone, like bringing the person in, and then everyone's like hiding in the kitchen. They're like, shh, God, look out, you're standing on my toe. Shh, it's a it time? Okay, wait. It's like they're doing that behind the cloud. You know what I mean? And this other angel, he was supposed to go out and he's trying to act all casual, and he's just like, I mean, what do I say? It's a baby. You know what I mean? He's just, he's a little too flippant. <laughs> I don't know. What do you want me to say? You know? He just seems a little too callous. And then, one thing I didn't know about this, apparently, if you go back to the, 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 the shepherd scene, is um, is that the Pied Piper in the front, beckoning the little children? Is that weird? I just thought that was a different story. But anyway, next one, I, this one I've, I've always loved because when I look at it, the first thing I think of, I'm like, is that Sting? Is Sting... Is Sting playing the Angel Gabriel? Am I the only one that thinks this? I I, I picture this painting like having happened, like at the actual scene where the 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 shepherds get scared. They're like, oh no! What is that, Sting? Like they're confused too, you know. And he's like, Roxanne. And they're like, what? And he's like, just kidding. We have a different song. It's Pum Pum Pum. Let's get to it. I got an announcement to make. Then there's then there's this other uh, this other rendition. This is like this ink drawing. And this one just seems so interesting to me because of is everyone looking at the front shepherd, like shepherd? Is that a shepherd? I feel like that's what the devil would look like if he was a shepherd, right? He just seems evil. And then the angel's there and he's like, don't look at me, I'm hideous. And he's like, he's like pulling his cloak over him. And it just, I don't know, there's something about it that feels weird. But I like the hat on the guy in the back. Anyway, there's another one. Uh, Let's see, this one. I feel like some of us have such a distorted view of a lot of things that happen in scripture because of color pages. Um, The color pages ruin the Bible for a lot of us. Like this one's so, it's like all the angels look Swedish, you know what I mean? They're just, it's weird, right? And they're all, they look like clones of one another. And I, it, it looks like they came down and they were just like, we have good news of great joy from Ikea. And then they gave, him, they gave him that fireplace and they had to put it together with like an Allen wrench. <laughs> Linden berries for everyone! Is that even a real berry? I feel like they just made it up. And then there's, then there's this one. This is uh, honestly probably my favorite one. And not because it's funny, but because I think when I look at this, there's something about it that feels maybe close. And the reason it feels close to me is because these, these guys really do seem afraid. And I love that, like, we don't get to see the angels. I love that we just get to see the, the shepherds, and they're different ages, and they're all showing fear in different ways, and they seem, like, unsettled. And this is what I would have imagined it, it looked like, because these shepherds would have assumed that if something truly divine was happening, the only reason why God would ever appear to, or, like, you know, call upon them was, would be to punish them. And I think they would have thought that because um, historians tell us that that it's likely that these shepherds, like a lot of city shepherds during this time in history, were actually criminals living out a sentence. Like they had done something horrible or were accused of doing something, and they were tried, and it was decided that the thing that they did that the punishment for that crime would be complete ostracization. And they were ripped from their families and friends. They were ripped from all normalcy and regularity, and they were put up on a hill to watch the sheep that belonged to the people who lived in the village that they were no longer allowed to have contact with. Like, think about that for a minute. Think about the extremity of that sentence, to live your whole life, not just away from people, but at a distance where you could see the people, but you couldn't be with the people. Like that one thing that you did in your life stigmatized you to such a certain extent that this was gonna be your existence, that that is what you would be known for and you would pay for it forever. And in fact, you know, these, these people would, you know, because they're around sheep and there's a, you know, a lot less baths back in the day, um, they would smell like sheep, which means that people would smell you coming. And they could only associate that smell with you and what you did as a shepherd, which would have been associated with whatever you did to make you a shepherd, which means that every time you went anywhere, people could smell the shame on you. I think that would be a heavy burden to carry. Like every time you came into town, people would hide their valuables and they would pull their children close and they would be whispering and you knew it was about you. And I wonder if you have ever felt like this. I wonder if you've ever felt like everywhere you go, people know. Like they can see right through you, like, like, like they can smell it on you, like they can smell where you've been and what you've done or what you should have done but didn't do or like that thing that was done to you that now feels like it defines you. I wonder if you enter into certain dynamics and, and rub shoulders with certain people and you have this sense like this, this mountain of insecurity inside of you that's sitting below the surface like they can tell, like they know it's there. Like they can feel your fear. I wonder if you ever feel like when people look at you, all they see is that dumb thing that you did or that, that time that you overreacted and you can't take it back or that horrible trait that you've tried to get rid of and it's still following you around or that recent failure or, or the sense that like you, you haven't yet lived up to the potential that everybody thought you had but it's just never happened. That was these people's lives, these shepherds out in these fields. And so back in this like ancient time, right, uh, a time before Netflix, okay, this is what these people did at night. They would sit out on the side of a hill in complete darkness around these sheep that they were watching and staring at this community that they'd been ostracized from and they would tell stories and they would hum songs and they they would whisper poetry that had been passed down from their ancestors. And some of the stanzas were more significant to them than others. There were, there were certain songs that made more frequent appearances. And I don't think it was just that they were catchy. I think it was that certain ones hit home, right? Certain songs that they would hum to themselves spoke to their, their souls. It was like something about that phrase or that lyric spoke to them in a really personal way. And there was one, I can imagine them singing by the prophet Isaiah, who lived a couple thousand years before these people, but they would grow up memorizing his words. And in Isaiah chapter nine, verse two, there's this lyric that says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And I imagine these people sort of curled up in the dark, just sort of humming this line to themselves over and over again, like a mantra almost. Why would you do that? I think if you were these people, you might do that because maybe that's all you've got left. That one line, that lyric, that promise was the only thing that maybe brought you any sort of comfort on any imaginable level because it felt like everything else you cared about had been taken away. I wonder if you've ever looked at your life and just thought, man, things are really dark right now. I wonder if you've ever looked at your current circumstances, the season that you're in the middle of, and thought to yourself, like, man, I, it feels like, like nothing is good. And it feels like they are never gonna get better. There's a, there's a term for this. It's called hopelessness and despair, and if you've ever felt it, the weight of it can be crippling. We hate it. We avoid it at all costs, right? So we do things to try and not have to feel it or experience it or step into it or face it, right? We make ourselves busy. We pack our schedules. We, we buzz around. We do a bunch of different things, but but like there are, are still moments for us, right, where where everything sort of settles and slows down and we're alone with our own thoughts and those thoughts drift back to these dark places. This dark place that is saddened by the reality that your life right now does not look anywhere close to what you thought and hoped and prayed it would. And true hopelessness and despair feels like, what am I going to do about it? Because the things that I hate most about my situation, they feel unfixable. It feels like my storyline is just like irrevocably doomed, and I don't understand why. Like something about me is damaged or broken or off or unworthy in a way that won't go away, and I'm stuck. And some of us are in a place where we have been stuck for so long that our heart starts to feel like it cannot hold up anymore. It just feels hopeless. And the more life drags on in this way, the more hopeless life feels. There's another line of ancient poetry from the book of Proverbs that says this. It says, hope delayed makes the heart sick. Like, I don't have to tell you that's true. You've you probably experienced it on some level in your own life before. It's saying this that, like, we're all only so resilient. There's only so much we can take. And life is hard. And, and, and like, at first, when something horrible happens and it's just like one thing where, like, we can kind of brush it off and we can kind of push it to the side, we can kind of rise above, we can hold our ground and keep the faith. But sometimes it just feels like the hits just keep coming. You ever had that season where it's just like, another thing, another thing, another thing? You can't even catch your breath from the first, and the next erupts right in your midst. And I think, probably for, for some of you, if you're honest, like this is what the last two years of life have felt like. You know, like first came the lockdowns and the isolation and the loneliness and it felt like in that moment like the world got a little bit darker and then then came the riots and the protests and the hate speech and the political unrest and it just felt like the world was just getting darker and darker And then came the economic meltdown and, and the layoffs and the job that, that, that couldn't use you in the same way anymore, and you having to learn things that you didn't know, and you're watching your savings account dwindle, and, and your world got a little bit darker. And then maybe maybe somebody that you care about, that you're close to. Maybe that person got sick. And maybe you couldn't go be with them, and maybe you couldn't be next to them, and maybe they were in a hospital, and maybe they died there alone. Or maybe they took their own life because of the devastation of what they'd experienced in the dark. And in that moment, your world got even darker. For some of you, like, the storyline is maybe different, but... Different events, but it led to the same place. Here's the thing that I do know about you you know what darkness feels like. You know what it's like to be these people sitting on the side of this hill feeling like things are never going to change. Except that one night they did. One night, out of nowhere, these angels appear, and it is unbelievable, and you can't believe this is happening. In the middle of the darkness, this amazing light came out of nowhere, and this impossible experience unfolded in front of you, and something about that thing made you think about Isaiah's poem and the state of your life and the despair that you've been feeling, and, 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 and for whatever reason, you begin doing something that you have not done in a long, long time. You begin to dream not pinch yourself in the middle of the living nightmare that you've been stuck in, but you begin to dream, to dare to believe that maybe someday things could be different, that maybe something really is going to change, that maybe if what the angels say is true, that maybe God hasn't forgotten about you, and that maybe, just maybe, Tomorrow will be different than the disappointment that you experienced yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before. Says that when the angels returned to to heaven, the shepherds probably still in shock, they said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. I love the structure of that sentence because it's a horrible sentence but it just makes me think of like how, how tongue-tied and shocked, let's go see this thing that has happened with, and the Lord told us about. <laughs> they hurried to the, the village and they found Mary and Joseph and, and there was a baby lying in the manger. And I wonder if they were like a little bit bummed. I mean, I, I feel like maybe I would be. When you, you think that you have seen something supernatural that has been prophesied about, Maybe this is the great light in the midst of the darkest moment you've ever experienced, and you're going to go find it. This is God coming to earth that's going to change everything and save the day. And you go, and and, and, like, and you get there, and there's a star above the house, and you're like, oh, my gosh, is it. You get in there, and you're like, it's just a, it's just a baby? That's it? That's basically my kid's reaction when their new cousin was born. Tegan was excited, of course. My boys, they, they, we, they, they saw how excited we were, how excited their mom was, their sister was, how excited I was to see this baby when we went there. And I don't know what they thought they were gonna see, but they were just like, it's just a baby. Not that big a deal. We're like, but look how small the fingers and toes and all the things are. And they're like, yeah, babies are small. That's how they make them. <laughs> just unimpressed. You ever wonder why a baby? I, I think part of it is because hope starts small and it grows slow. There's this constant sort of reminder or theme in scripture that the thing destined to change everything never looks like much of anything in the beginning. It's so small that it would be easy to ignore and push aside and pretend like you didn't notice or see it. But some people... Some people are blessed with a faith to be able to see below the surface and they can peer at that small thing and see that it's leading somewhere. That it has big implications, that this is not just a baby. It's a symbol of hope. It's the light of the world. It's the thing that will defeat the darkness that seems to be swallowing them whole. I think part of the reason that, that God packages hope in, in such small bundles is that what we do with it partially determines what he does through it. Ultimately, this is the principle that I, I think that God wanted them to see then and us to see now, that the reality is what you nurture grows that this little emblem of hope was going to have to be taken care of, was going to have to be nurtured, was going to have to allow to expand and grow and become everything that it was meant to be. But this thing works both ways. If whatever you nurture grows, that means that like bitterness, hatred, jealousy, Rage. Those hurt feelings that like we're so wounded and we sit in them and we focus on them and we marinate in them and because they are what we nurture, that's what grows and that's who we become. And I would imagine that that these shepherds on the side of this hill, that there had been a lot of that in their lives. What they were exposed to this day was a small seed of hope that things were going to change. And they grabbed hold of that thing and began to nurture it in their hearts, and hope began to take over. The story goes on to say that the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. And, you know, all the songs and all of the the Christmas sermons I've ever heard always focus on the fact that, like, after they seen Jesus, they, they were praising and they were, like, thankful and they were, like, God keeps his promises. And you know the part that, like, always sticks out to me is the first part of the sentence. After this amazing moment that was supposed to change everything, it says that the shepherds went back to their flocks. What a disappointing moment. I gotta go back? I gotta go back to the hill where I'm ostracized? I gotta go live out the rest of the the sentence for the crime that I didn't even really fully commit? I gotta go back to the circumstances I've been begging you to get me out of? What a difficult reality to embrace, and yet somehow they're able to do it while glorifying and praising God. And I think what we see here, and I hope you tuck this into your heart this Christmas, receiving hope doesn't always mean we don't have to ever return to the same situation. But what it does mean is that when you do, you're not the same you. Sometimes this is the kind of hope we want. We want the kind of hope that's gonna change all of the outward circumstances. And yet the kind of hope that Jesus first promised these people was that even in the midst of their circumstances, that he saw them, that he loves them, that he's with them, and that no matter what they're experiencing on the outside, he is going to rescue them on the inside. gave them hope that's a word we throw around but some of us have been without it for so long i don't know that we know what it means so i just want to give you a definition because this is what jesus came to bring hope is the conviction that the way things are now is not the way they're always going to be despair will tell you the opposite Despair will tell you that this is all there is. This is all you're going to get. This is all there ever will be. Hope tells a different story. Hope is an insistence that, that something different, something new and something better is possible and in fact has already been set in motion by a God who loves you. Hope is a refusal to allow your disappointment to dictate your destiny. That just because this horrible thing happened and just because you're having to go through it and fully feel it does not mean that your present is going to repeat over and over again into your future. And hope is this belief that when I live with an awareness that God is with and for me, I can experience the bliss of heaven bursting forth in the midst of whatever hell I find myself in in the here and now. If you look at the people who first placed their faith and trust in Jesus, they did not escape the living hell they were currently living in. But they found a hope that transcended all of their surroundings and circumstances. And even in the midst of their pain, they had joy. because the message they walked away with is that God had not forgotten about them. That darkness was not all there was and that God was not somewhere else out there. That in fact, God is right here with us in the midst of our pain, in the midst of the unfairness, in the midst of the frustration, that God is, is right here. And no matter how dark it seems and how long it has been that way, there is a light. There's a light that God has placed in front of you, alongside of you, and inside of you. It's the light that is Jesus. And if you lean into that thing, it's what ends up bringing hope. To the hopeless, it brings a new destiny to those that are in despair. Nurture that. That's the Christmas story. And I wanna pray that God would make that true to you today. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? God, I can only imagine um, the heartbreak and the disappointment that exists in this room. There's enough of us that have experienced enough things that we have felt like giving up, walking away, throwing in the towel. And we are tempted to lean in to all of our disappointment, to focus in on it, to let it swallow us. And yet in this moment, You are using this service to get our attention. It's not a crowd of angels, but it might as well be. It's your light descending on us saying, I see you, I love you, I'm for you, I'm with you. I will see you through. God, I pray that we would hide that hope, that light in our hearts, and that as we do, it would expand and ignite the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, Help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.